I want to ask you a question as we start this morning, whether you have ever been so desperate for something that you've had to come up with a little bit of a plan or a little bit of a strategy to try and get it. Now, I was in this position about a month ago when my absolutely favourite podcast announced that they were doing a live tour, and can you believe it, they were coming to Nottingham. I had to get the tickets I knew that they were going to sell out because they're super popular and it was all over social media. So a friend and and I formed an alliance and we decided that we're going to take shifts. We're each going to take it in turn to try and get these tickets. So the tickets were released at uh, 10 a.m. that morning and my friend had the first shift. And by about two minutes past 10, she's texting me to tell me where she is in the queue. She started off at place 700. I was like, we're not getting these tickets. That's it, it's done. So she's texting me. I'm texting my husband, Ronnie, to tell him what she was telling me about where we were. It was quite frantic. Um, This was basically us. Not the best quality clip, but hopefully you got the idea. We were very frantic. Now, it's a stupid example, but desperation does make us do strange things, doesn't it? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a story in the Bible of a woman who was utterly, utterly desperate. Now, if you hear last week, you would have heard Jordan saying, uh, preach on faith. And he told a couple of stories of women in the Bible who had audacious faith. So what I want to do this morning is zoom in on one of those stories from a slightly different angle and to look at how Jesus responded to this desperate but faith-filled woman and what that means for us today. We got the tickets, by the way. I knew you'd all be worried about that. Yes, we got them. So, if you've got your Bible with you, jump into Mark 5. So, Jesus um, and his ministry is starting to attract a bit of attention, and a large crowd has started to gather and press around him. And in the midst of this, he's approached by a guy called Jairus, who is the leader of a synagogue, and his little daughter is ill and dying, and he asks Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter so she will be healed. While they're on their way there, in the crowd, there is a woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She's tried many different doctors. She's utterly broke. And for the Jewish people in that culture, any blood outside the body, whether you were male or female, would have made you unclean. So she wouldn't have been able to go to the temple to worship. She couldn't handle money or food. Anything she touched, including clothes or furniture or other people, would have also have been made unclean. So she was essentially an outcast in her community. But I absolutely love this woman because, do you know what? Despite of, or maybe because of, her desperation, she does something utterly outrageous. She pushes and shoves her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. She knew if she got caught, she would be in a lot of trouble. But she'd heard about Jesus and had to get to him because it says she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She was desperate but not defeated. 
And I don't know if you've ever tried to push your way through a busy crowd. I've had to do it a couple of times, mostly at gigs when I'm trying to get the best position to see the band. And there was one particularly triumphal moment when we went to see a guitarist called Tom Morello. So we were there um, trying to get the best position. We're pushing and shoving our way through this crowded area. And I noticed this big flight case, which is a box that all the gear is carried in. That was in the middle of where the audience were. And I thought, this isn't a mistake. Something is going to happen on this flight case. So we pushed and we shoved and we squeezed our way and got to the front of this flight case. And when we were there, other people are pushing around us and we're holding fast and holding fast and it was completely worth it because like Jesus walking through the crowd surrounded by his disciples, Tom Morello comes in surrounded by his, his bodyguards, climbs up onto the flight case and starts playing. And I was right in front of him, I was right there. I could have reached out and touched the hem of his jeans and let the power of rock come into me. <laughs> It was an excellent gig, but the point I'm trying to make is that pushing and shoving was really hard work. And in the same way, I imagine this woman who is physically and emotionally depleted, pushing and squeezing her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that to get to Jesus. I've done it a couple of times. So when I was a teenager, um, me becoming a Christian was a bit of a source of tension for my family, and I kind of had to hide away some of the things I was doing. So I managed to get a contraband copy of the Bible, and I hid it away from my mum and dad. And then I'd wait to the middle of the night when everyone else had gone to bed, and I would hide under my duvet with a torch, reading the stories of Jesus into the early hours. And I'd go to school the next day utterly shattered, but it was so worth it to read these incredible stories about Jesus. And then there was another time when I was a student, um, the 24-7 prayer community were putting on a conference, and it was over in Frankfurt. And um, me and two friends really wanted to go, but we were skint. We couldn't get to Frankfurt, so we, um, we decided to hitchhike there. It took us two days. We had to sleep in a park, which was miserable. We arrived hungry and cold and tired and smelly, but it was so worth it to get into the presence of Jesus. And like this woman, we knew we needed to get into his presence. We would do anything to get in front of him. We were desperate, but not defeated. And for this woman, that was enough. The text says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she would freed from her suffering. Now, one of the things I love about this story is that it could have just been this sweet little moment between this woman and Jesus. But there's much more to this story than just the physical healing. And I think that the author, Mark, wants to highlight a couple of things about Jesus here. So let's uh, look at how he responds. The first thing is that Jesus saw her. She tries to sneak her way to Jesus, and her sneaking doesn't quite work, because it says in verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? In the midst of this crowd with people jostling and pressing against him, Jesus singles out one person. I like to picture it a little bit like um, when you're on a really crowded train and you pull up to the platform and people are jostling on and off the train. And imagine one person saying, who touched me? 
And I don't think I'd be the only person thinking, what are you talking about? Everyone is touching you. And that's exactly what the disciples think, because they say, you see the crowd, the people crowding against you, and yet you asked, who touched me? They're on their way to this important person's house, the leader of a synagogue, to visit a girl who is dying, and yet Jesus wants to work out in this whole crowd who this one person was who touched him. But Jesus doesn't let it go. He says he kept looking around to see who had done it. Because I don't think Jesus was happy with her just sneaking up behind him. I don't think he was happy with just a quick grab of the cloak, healing, bosh, job done. Amidst all the chaos, all the people pushing and shoving, and after 12 years of being an outcast and invisible, Jesus is the only one to stop and give her dignity. You see, I think he wanted an interaction with her. I think he wanted to see her. I don't know if any of you have seen the film Wonder. It's a really beautiful film about a little boy called Oggy who has a congenital disorder that's left him with a disfigured face. And he's been homeschooled for a number of years and the film follows his um, journey in the first year of, of middle school. And he starts, wearing, uh, he starts the film wearing a space helmet to hide his face from others. And throughout the film, he, he stops needing the helmet. And at the end of the film, him and his dad are chatting, and Oggy says, I love that helmet. I wish I knew where it has gone. And the dad admits that he was the one who took it and hid it. And he says this, you were wearing it all the time. I missed your face. I know you don't always love it, but it's my son's face, and I wanted to see it. And I think that perfectly illustrates what Mark is trying to tell us in this story. God wants to see our faces. No matter what we've done, or the shame we carry, or the things we want to hide from ourselves or from others, God wants to see our faces. And, you know, I spent much of my childhood feeling invisible and inadequate. And, and still now, the thought that the creator of the universe would want to know me, would want to look at my face like a father looks at his child, that just blows me away again and again and again. And my prayer for you guys is that you would be blown away again and again and again. So I wonder if anyone here feels like you need to hide your face from God. Like you feel as though your circumstances are such that you are somehow excluded from God's grace. Maybe that you've done something that makes you unclean. Well, this story tells us that there's nothing in our story that is too shameful for God. In fact, I think this story tells us that if you feel like that, you are exactly the kind of person that God would stop in the middle of a crowd for. He wants to see your face. So he saw her, and then he restored her. We read in verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. I don't know if you've ever been publicly caught out doing something that you shouldn't have done, 
Believe it or not, I have been a couple of times, mostly when I was a very rebellious teenager, and they are still moments that haunt me when I can't sleep at three o'clock in the morning. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, but just think for a minute how this moment would have felt for this woman, having to expose her pain and her shame to all these people. No wonder she was trembling with fear. But I don't think Jesus was being insensitive here. In fact, I think that by making her healing public, he was making it known to the whole community that she was no longer unclean. You see, reading this story, it might be hard for some of us to relate what, uh, what's going on for this woman. Dare I say it, maybe even for the guys in the room especially. But this situation wasn't just physical. It had massive repercussions on her whole life. Just imagine for a moment not being allowed to be in a crowded space for 12 years, not being able to go shopping or to a football match or to a gig or out for a meal for 12 years. 12 years of not being able to come to church or small group. 12 years of not being able to be hugged by friends or have someone lay a hand on you to pray for you. I think the COVID lockdowns were hard enough, weren't they? But imagine that for 12 years. 12 years of not being able to be around anyone because it would put them at risk of being unclean. You know, this woman would have had to announce her presence, literally shouting, unclean, every time she walked into a space in case somebody accidentally touched her. How humiliating, how dehumanizing. And of course, we don't know how this woman felt about herself, but you can imagine that after that amount of time, there's a danger of her thoughts going from, I have this thing that is unclean, to I am unclean. It's so easy to do, and I don't think I am the only one here who's internalized something that I have done and turning it into an identity. Jumping from something like, I did something stupid, to I am stupid. I did something unloving, to I am unlovable. I failed at something to I am a failure. I have a problem to I am a problem. I wonder if anyone here feels like that. But the good news is that with just one touch of Jesus's garment, with that physical healing, all of that was gone. And I think he wanted her to know it, but I think he wanted the whole community to know it. Because imagine the impact that that would have had on her whole life. He totally and utterly restored her. Because that's what he does. It's who Jesus is. And I know that this room is full of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. For example, just last Sunday, I bumped into somebody who I haven't seen for, I don't know, 15 years or more. And she wasn't a Christian when I first knew her. But when I saw her again, obviously she was here at church, but there was something about her. that She was totally different. Her body language was different. She was more confident. She was smiling more. So I was like, what has happened to you in the last 15 years? And she told me that she actually had ended up in a woman's refuge in a pretty bad way. And while she was there, someone gave her a crucifix to wear. And she took that as a sign to start going to church. So like the woman in our Bible story, my friend was in a desperate situation, but she was not defeated. She went to church, 
She met Jesus. She's now a leader at that church and is now working for a sexual violence support service, helping other women who've been through things like her. She has a new identity and fresh dignity. Jesus saw her and restored her, and now she is helping bringing restoration to others. Isn't that a beautiful story? The women in our story knew that Jesus could heal her, but I think he wanted to restore her. And he wants the same for every one of us, to bring more than just physical healing, to bring more than just our minimal expectations of what he might do, but the kind of restoration that only comes from the love and acceptance of Jesus. He wants to give us hope and a future. He is the restorer of souls. So he saw her, he restored her, then Jesus saved her. Now it's interesting to me that this story is told in three of the four Gospels and this woman is not named in any of them. In fact, we still refer to her as the woman with the bleeding or the woman with the issue of blood. 2,000 odd years later, she is still defined by her condition. But Jesus gives her a new identity. He calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And this isn't just a nice turn of phrase. He's giving her a whole new identity. Daughter is a name that belongs in family. And this is Jesus speaking. So he's talking about the heavenly family. No longer rejected, no longer outcast, no longer defined by her her condition, but defined by being a daughter of the Messiah. In calling her daughter, he's almost saying, you belong to me. In fact, the word used in this passage for healing also means to save. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Then he goes on to say, go in peace. The word there for peace being shalom, which doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means where the presence of God is, where wholeness and completeness can be found. It's where any hostility between God and people has been abolished. This is so much more than a story of physical healing. He's given her a whole new identity. She's gone from being unrighteous to righteous. Flipping the expectations of the day, contact with this woman didn't make Jesus unclean. Contact with Jesus made her clean. And it's the same for us, friends. I think this story is like a little picture of the very mission of God, that when we reach out to Jesus, we're no longer defined by our faults or our conditions stuff that's going on that's physical or emotional, our weaknesses, our sin, the stuff that's happened to us. But we are defined by the fact that we belong to Jesus. We're part of his family. We are made right with him. Like my friend who I bumped into last week, she is no longer defined by what happened to her, but by the transformation that Jesus has done in her life. This story tells us that contact with Jesus changes us. However far from God we think we are, however unclean we think we are, through Jesus, we are being made new. I started this talk by saying that this woman was desperate but not defeated. So I wonder how you're feeling. 
Maybe you're feeling desperate. Maybe you feel defeated. Maybe actually you've forgotten what it feels like to be desperate for God, and that has, in effect, defeated you. And that's not surprising, because sometimes our lives can feel crowded, crowded by all sorts of things, family, work, school, shame, guilt, the expectations of others, just being busy. And maybe Jesus feels a bit lost in that crowd. But I just want to finish with one final thought. The word used in this passage for touch also means to cling. Jesus might have well have said, who clung to me? And of course, we're not sure what he meant literally or how long she held on to that garment for, but it's an interesting picture, isn't it? That sometimes, like this woman, all we've got is to cling to Jesus to metaphorically push and shove our way through the crowd, through those crowded thoughts, and just reach out to Jesus. Because that's what it means to not be defeated. Practically, for me, that obviously looks like worship. You know, these aren't just nice songs that we sing. They are truth that we need to cling on to. And I'll be honest sometimes, um, I, sometimes I have to push my way into worship I can get distracted by stuff that's gone on during the week, or sometimes I could get distracted by what the band are doing, and I think, oh, I think I'd like to steal that for next time. But I know that I need to push through all of that and not be defeated by it, but to find a way to cling to Jesus. Because it's in those darkest moments of my life, when maybe worshipping is the last thing I feel like doing, it's in those moments that God has come in his kindness and his grace and has met with me and ministered to me in my pain and in my suffering. So what is it for you? What brings you into the presence of Jesus? Maybe it's being here on a Sunday, going to small group. Maybe it's reading the Bible, walking in nature with him. Maybe it's all of the above. But I want to encourage you to be more like this woman, to not be defeated and to push through to him. Do those things that take you into the presence of Jesus. It might feel like hard work, might feel scary, but he's in there. And it's worth it because all that was on offer to this woman is on offer to us. For God to see your face, for God to restore you above your expectations, for God to save you, to call you son or daughter. So maybe some of us here feel like we can't come towards Jesus. You've metaphorically got that helmet on. There's something you're hiding. Whatever it is you're hiding from God or yourself or others, he wants you to know that he wants to see your face. Others of us, there's no reason in particular. We just recognize that there's distance between us and Jesus. He's got a bit lost in the crowd. And I think he wants to remind us um, to come and get a fresh touch from him. Maybe you need restoration to be reminded of that incredible, transformative presence of Jesus. Or maybe you need saving today. Maybe you need to know that you are a son or a daughter of the Messiah. 
So I think the invitation today is to ask again, what does it look like for you to push your way into the presence of Jesus? Even if all you get is a grab of his garment. Because as it turns out, that's enough. <laughs>